Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In one of his books, author Donald Miller talks about a friend of his who was gathering some data on churches that were thriving in the hopes of writing a book of his own about it. And this friend, whose name was Alan, went across the country visiting churches and interviewing their pastors. And curiously, he found the experience to be uh, repetitive and sometimes even boring. But one day, Alan met up with a church leader by the name of Bill. And Bill was very engaged in answering all the same questions. But at the end of the interview, Alan asked him one more seemingly simple question about what his relationship with Jesus meant to him personally. And Alan says that Bill sat there in silence for several seconds and really couldn't get an answer to come out because as he thought, about what Jesus meant to him personally, tears filled his eyes and he got so choked up that he couldn't even talk. Well, when Alan went back and told Donald Miller, his friend, that story, Miller then later wrote in his book that he wondered what it was like to have a relationship with Jesus like that. He also confessed that he wondered for a moment whether this guy Bill was, in his words, a little bit nuts. But then he also admitted that in his words, and I quote him now, that I knew in that moment that I wanted to have a relationship with Jesus like that. Well, as I think about my own story during the last month or so and about the very rocky start with which 2021 is getting underway with in-person worship here at St. Andrews still on hold and the pandemic raging all across the country, and the horrifying feelings that we have had over the insurrection at the Capitol and at what might still happen in light of the fact that for the first time in history, a president has been impeached for the second time as we then move toward the inauguration of a new president and a new vice president. And then there are all the other things that might be going on in your life that I don't even know about. And as I think about that, it occurs to me that the call of Jesus to follow him might feel just a little heavier, a little more challenging than usual. But of course, it also reminds me that that is the one thing, the one person, the one relationship, the only one to follow that will ultimately be the eternal game changer that makes a difference in everything else that we experience in life. And, and today we see how that works in the lives of uh, two people who we meet up with in the Gospel of John, and their names are Philip and Nathaniel, and they are also called uh, to follow Jesus. And they're brought into a relationship with him uh, that is personal and it's powerful and it's life-changing. But that isn't to say that their world wasn't full of its own challenges because they too lived in a society that was filled with political upheaval, with brutality and with violence at the hands of the Roman Empire that had invaded their land and was controlling its people. Their closeness to Jesus also got off to a, a rocky start, at least in the case of one of them. Philip, 
on one hand, as you heard, was an easy sell. He meets Jesus personally, and he quickly comes to the conclusion that Jesus is the one who was foretold by the prophets, who spoke about the coming of the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of the law of Moses. In fact, so excited is Philip about Jesus that he goes to his buddy, his friend, Nathaniel, and he says to him, we have found the Messiah. In much the same way that Andrew, the namesake of our church, went to his own brother Peter and said essentially the very same thing earlier in the very same chapter in the Gospel of John. Now, uh, just as an aside and to clear up any confusion that there might be, Nathaniel in the Gospels is the same person as Bartholomew who is also named in the Gospels as one of Jesus' 12 apostles. It's just that Nathaniel was his first name and Bartholomew would have been his uh, second name or we might say his surname. Anyway, Nathaniel is not an easy sell when it comes to Jesus. He is skeptical. Maybe because he, unlike Philip, hasn't met Jesus personally. Also, when Philip tells Nathanael that he has met and found the Messiah and that Jesus is from the village of Nazareth, that raises all kinds of questions because Nazareth was this little village in the, in the hill country of Galilee that had a population of maybe couple 300 people, give or take, unlike the 75,000 that live there today. It was located and is today west of the shores of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret. It overlooked the trade routes of Palestine. Nazareth really wasn't known for anything in particular. It didn't have any kind of spiritual or, or biblical significance. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. And its people were not known to be especially powerful or even wise. In fact, not only was Nazareth uh, not a place of a very good reputation. It actually had kind of a bad reputation because it was known as a place where Jews intermarried with Gentiles or non-Jews, which was a big religious no-no, and it made you religiously unclean, spiritually impure. And so when Philip tells Nathaniel, I found the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth, Nathaniel says, in effect, what, are you kidding me? Nazareth, can anything good come out of that hole in the wall, much less the Messiah? But Philip wisely does not argue the point. Instead, he invites Nathaniel to come and see for himself. And when he does, that's the 180. That's the game changer for the rest of his life, as they approach Jesus, and Jesus sees these guys off to the distance, and he says, now there's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. I mean, in other words, this guy is the real deal. This guy is a man of God. And Nathaniel, of course, I mean, he's just astonished by this. He's shocked, and he says to Jesus, you know, how do you know me? And Jesus says to him, well, I watched you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And that may not sound like a very big deal to you, but it is a very big detail because fig trees grow to be not very tall, but they do grow to be very wide. And they did provide a lot of shade for people in the heat of the desert of Palestine. More importantly, it was known that people would go 
and seek shelter in the shade of a fig tree, not just to cool down, but to pray in the middle of the day. So that what Jesus was saying to Nathaniel Bartholomew was, I was watching you, and I could tell that you were seeking God. And even though this passage kind of moves along at a pretty good clip, and, you know, I always want to know what transpired between the verses that John gives to us, along with the other gospel and scripture writers, the bottom line is that at the end of the day, Nathaniel also has a personal, powerful meeting with Jesus that changes his life forever. And with that, the passage closes with Jesus teasing him with the promise that even greater things would happen and that he would see them because, as we already know, in Jesus, the very best is always yet to come. Well, that's a story from the Gospel of John, uh, except for some applications that I find for my life and hopefully uh, today you find for yours. Like, first of all, the fact that the Christian faith is just a belief system. The Christian faith is an experience of grace brought to us by the bringer, the giver of grace, who was born in a manger and who brutally died on one of the Roman Empire's crosses. It's what Donald Miller was talking about in his book when he described a, a man who was so moved at even the mention of Jesus' name, who, who thought about what Jesus really meant to him, that you know, it just transformed him. It filled his heart. And so when Nathaniel hears from Philip that Jesus is the fulfillment of a belief system, you know, he's skeptical, and quite frankly, his prejudice kicks in. But when he has his meeting with Jesus, everything is changed for all eternity. And he spends the rest of his life following the promised Messiah. The second thing that comes to mind is the spiritual power that you and I have to introduce others to Christ, to invite them to come and see and experience Christ and life in Christ for themselves by offering them an experience of grace that makes them, you know, want to know more, that draws them in, that leads them to their own experiences that change and transform their lives forever. You know, there was a survey that was made uh, several years ago by the Catholic Church, which revealed that most of the respondents indicated that Jesus Christ had completely changed their lives, which is good. But it also revealed that the majority of those respondents never talked to even another person about that for fear that they would think that, you know, maybe they were, in Donald Millard's words, a little nuts, or they were, you know, a Jesus freak, or they, they, they were just overdoing it. I would invite you to think about how you might effectively help somebody that you may already know understand what it is that makes you tick and how you might invite them to come closer and to give them an experience of grace that by grace will represent their meeting with Jesus. Because according to St. Paul, you see, we're the body of Christ now. We're the hands, we're the feet of Jesus. We're the proclaimers of his word to a very sick, very broken, very conflicted world.
I'd also invite you to do something that might be a little uncomfortable, and that is to join me in looking into the mirror from the point of view of Nathaniel and asking yourself, you know, what prejudice might there be in my life? What, what bias might there be? What preconceived notion might there be in my life that, that separates me or prevents my closeness from Jesus? Because you can't be close to Jesus and walk away from him at the same time. You can't love God and hate your brother or your sister. And then last but not least, far from least, I want to think about a little twist on Nathaniel's question to Philip and invite you to think about those times in, in your life, in your journey, when you might have taken some time to ask yourself the question, is there anything good that can come out of my life? My background my messed up childhood, my failed relationships, my bad decisions, my current circumstances. And to know that the answer to that question is absolutely yes. When you are a follower of Jesus and you live in the forgiveness, and you live in the grace and you live in the truth and the hope and the joy and the love that he came to bring. No offense to Nathaniel, but I have to say that as I read this passage today, I think he got it wrong, in reverse. Which is to say that it's not so much that a carpenter from Nazareth of all places could possibly be the Messiah. It's that the Messiah is willing to make his home in places like Nazareth that are everything but clean or correct or perfect. He's willing to make his home in the lives of people like you and me so that we can give witness to others and they might, by grace, follow the promised Messiah. One of the other books that I pulled down from my shelf uh, even before I got sick and uh, before the insurrection at the Capitol is a book entitled The End of Words, The Language of Reconciliation in a Culture of Violence by a man named Richard Lisher, who I actually know vaguely, which is to say I've met him two or three times. But in his book, he tells a story that I've shared around here a time or two about a woman who is slowly dying of a chronic disease. And she goes to a church on Christmas Eve. And at one point in the service, she gets up and she walks forward to read one of the scriptures on that holy night. And Lisher sets the scene and he describes this woman walking forward with an oxygen tank slung over her shoulders as the congregation hears the hissing of the oxygen and, and sees the, the light of the candles reflected in her eyes as she slowly stops and bends over the lectern toward the words and she reads them. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees and say to those who are of a fearful heart, do not be afraid, be strong, for here is your God. Lisher goes on to describe how having finished the lesson, the woman returns to her pew 
and the congregation on that holy night realizes that they have not just heard the word of the Lord. They have seen it. In a woman whose life was coming to a close, but who was so transformed by her own powerful, personal meeting, relationship, and life in Christ by the grace of God, that it became a living witness and a testimony that drew people in and made them want to follow Jesus too. Because after all, who wouldn't want a relationship with him like that? The philosopher Socrates called his disciples to follow his teachings. Plato, the philosopher, called people to follow his thoughts. When Jesus Christ called his disciples and does today, he says, follow me. And I hope and pray that in these days of anxiety and uncertainty, God would give us all the grace to do exactly that for the glory of the Messiah, for our joy in him as we think about what Jesus really means to all of us. And then having done that, we do get the words out and we do witness to this sinful, sick, and broken world that can still be transformed by the goodness and the, and the grace of God as we give thanks that for those who follow him, the very best is yet to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.